today on It's Time. He didn't just write that to the Corinthian church. Oh, well, you know, you got these guys trying to get you to go back under the law, dietary laws and all these different things. No, it was a whole region because this was a real problem. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. If you're new here this morning, I just want to encourage you, this church is a Bible-centered church. And you say, well, aren't all churches? Well, maybe in name, but not oftentimes in their design of the way their service is made. The book of Isaiah says the way we are to learn the Bible is line upon line, precept upon precept. It isn't by entertaining sermons on catching the wrong bus to Cincinnati or putting Jesus in your pocket and climbing to the top, motivational speaking or some other self-motivational type idea, but really that we, t- we study God's Word, the Bible. Because the Bible, the Bible says, is what God is going to judge the world someday by. And we as His children, as we rule and reign with Christ from Jerusalem for that thousand-year period of time, will be the administrators of God's law on this earth. It's good to know what your position will be and what you will be doing. Now, a lot of times, yes, we're going to go to heaven someday. There's a new heaven prepared for us. We all wait for that. We're going to get a new body one of these days. And for me personally, the sooner the better. I can do everything I did right now when I was 30. I just pay for it for about two months afterwards. And that's the problem. And you don't even have to be in your 60s to really begin to experience pain. Many of the people that have played sports and things, injuries, now arthritis in their 30s is setting in and they're going, oh, I need that new body. Well, the Bible's got some good news for you. You're going to get one. And I like that about what the Lord has prepared for us, not only in heaven someday, but for us personally. But now that we're going to rule and reign with him, what we need to be doing. Now, uh, we know, and again, if you're new here, maybe you're new to church, period. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The only son he had didn't have many sons, Buddha, Muhammad, no, 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 no. Just one, one son, Jesus Christ. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is great news that our old, our past can be separated from what God wants to do with you today. Now, many people, if you haven't realized this, you wrestle with your past. That's why the, the psychologist's offices are filled, because people can't get free from their past, the wish of would haves in their life. They look back over their shoulder and they go, oh, I've done so many mistakes and they haunt me today. Oh, if I could just get a brand new start. That's what Jesus Christ does. 
He gives us a brand new start. Not just when we be, become born again, but as King David said, his promises are new every morning. God gives us a brand new start every morning. And that to me is great news. Now, the reason why I believe that's so important is because John 3.16 is not the full extent of us being born again. That's where it starts. You're born again, you're separated, but now as we begin to grow in our relationship with God, how then, what manner of people should we be? And I think that's really important. Now we can go to, again, motivational speaking, we can go to self-help courses, all this other stuff, but that isn't really what the Bible says, and we have to go back to what the Bible tells us is the way we are to mature, and the way that someday you as a magistrate, as a judge, as an enforcer of God's law during the millennial reign of Christ, what to expect. These things that were written in the Old Testament, people say, well, we're a New Testament church, we don't even read the Old Testament. What a tragedy. Jesus said, search the scriptures in them. You think you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. You know, I don't know if you ever remember, and I don't mean to diminish Jesus in any way. But do you ever remember when you were a kid, they had a whole bunch of little faces and there was a thing called fine Waldo. Anybody, maybe I'm the only one that had an underprivileged childhood that did this kind of stuff. I don't know, but fine Waldo. Well, actually... When we study the Old Testament, it's find Jesus. Because I believe Jesus is all the way through the Old Testament. In different ways, in different picture images. It's like, uh, you know, the other day I was just kind of praying and I was just kind of thinking about the Lord. And and, um, I was thinking about how the Bible is written, I got to say this kind of like this, it's like written in code. And, And if you know the code, you can interpret it. What is the code? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote, inspired the writing of God's Word. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we read the Bible, it doesn't look like a phone book anymore. It actually means something. That's so important. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. You know, God's giving Moses all the dimensions and the things about it, and it'll be made out of wood, and it'll be overlaid with gold and all this stuff. And people go, yeah, 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 I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't care about that stuff. No, no, no. You need to know about that stuff. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says God's law is written on human beings Heart. Not just Christians, not just followers of Yahweh, but God's law is written on men's hearts. This is what makes us all human beings different than your cat, your dog, any animal. Because there's a God consciousness in us. Now, people can spend their whole life running as hard as they want in pot, drugs, booze, staying stoned, preoccupied yourself education, all these things to run from what is really written in our heart. See, we know we wouldn't want somebody to kill us, so we don't want to kill somebody. We know we don't want somebody to steal from us, so we won't steal from somebody. That's the idea. God says he put that in our hearts. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, when I realized and I put that together, that if God wrote his law on men's hearts, 
Could it be that the Ark of the Covenant is a picture type of our hearts? Well, what is our heart? Well, until we become born again, it's an old wood box. But you know, the Bible told Moses to overlay it with gold. And that gold, I believe, is the blood of Jesus in your life. Far more precious than any earthly metal, far more precious than silver or gold. But God covers our heart. We have inside of our heart his law. But what's else inside the Ark of the Covenant? A jar of manna. That's kind of a weird thing to put in the Ark, don't you think? The jar of manna. Interesting, Jesus said, I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. Speaking of how God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness, this place where we're kind of timeline-wise right now in the Bible, he fed them, and we find that Jesus Christ, the bread of life, in an earthen temple, our body, his body, they're also inside of our heart. But there was something else that was in there as well. And it was the rod that Moses used to govern the children of Israel. It is interesting that King David said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What does David mean by that in the 23rd Psalm? Well, a staff was that thing with the hook on the end where, you know, you'd reach out and the sheep getting close, too close to the edge or over getting too close to the bad stuff would reach that hook around the sheep's neck and pull them back in line. That comforted David. God's ability to correct us. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to think about that. Because if God isn't correcting you, who is? Because, friends, we all need correction. In fact, it's interesting, God calls us his children. What, if anybody here, kids, you know what they constantly need, don't you? Is correction. Why? Otherwise, they break the windows out of your house, throw all your furniture out in the lawn, and burn your house down. That's the way it is without correction. Well, David said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God's ability to correct us. But greater than that is God's authority in my life. And Moses' rod was used over the Red Sea when it parted. He held it over and the sea opened up uh, when he touched it. And then it opened up. And then he held his rod back over and the sea covered on the Egyptian army. That rod, again, God's authority, Jesus Christ in my heart, his law written on your heart, Man, I'll tell you something. Now all of a sudden, those Old Testament definitions and pictures of the Ark of the Covenant mean something because that is where God dwelt. He dwelt there between the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. The Bible says he will not, and I wish so many religions today would get this. God says, I will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. Isn't that weird? Yet look at today at the emphasis of religions. Here in Twin Falls, Idaho, around the world, their focus, their emphasis on the temple. Right? But do you realize something? It's plaster, two by fours, wood, carpet. The Bible says God will only dwell inside of you far more superior than plaster and sheetrock. He dwells in your heart. That type of the Ark of the Covenant 
which was there where? In the Holy of Holies. That's who you are in Christ. Never forget that. You're special to God. And because you're special to God, he reserves his word for you and that Holy Spirit that causes these words to come alive. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. May these words come alive. May your same Holy Spirit that wrote these, inspired the writer, now speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at Exodus 20. Exodus 20 deals with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, again, if you're new here, were never meant to justify man. It's very clear. I believe it's verse 15 in Exodus 20. It said, this is a test. This is a test to see if they truly love God, love their fellow man. Jesus, they came, a lawyer testing him, said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now, Jesus looked at him and said, to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And he said, the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. So people that say, and they'll even approach you today, they go door to door. They'll say, well, truly, if you're really a Christian, you'll get back under the Ten Commandments again. Um, Let me tell you something. When I went to high school, we went to college and we had tests. The test was not the ultimate outcome. The test was only to see if you learned what you were supposed to learn so you could do what? Graduate. As a graduate of high school or college, I don't want to go back under a test again to show if I was worthy to graduate. I graduated. You graduated. Your graduation came in Jesus Christ. The law was meant to show us how much we needed a Savior, how we could not save ourselves. Always remember that. That in the New Testament is what the book of Galatians is about. Galatia was in a region, an area there in southern Asia, uh, in the Middle East, and, and the churches that were scattered up. I think it's interesting about the book of Galatians that Paul writes to them plural because the Judaizers or those that were trying to get people to go back under the Ten Commandments again, under the law again, were very prolific. They were, they were everywhere. He didn't just write that to the Corinthian church. Oh, well, you know, you got these guys trying to get you to go back under the law, dietary laws and all these different things. No, it was a whole region because of this was a real problem, and it is today as well. There is something within us, I believe it's called pride, that says, look what I did. I am so good. I'm Captain Shiny Buttons. Look at me. I did this. I did this. I did this. This one checks out. Okay. But when you really look at what the Bible says... We're not justified by the law. We're, we're, we're found guilty. It's a test. Got some real important news for all of you. We all flunked. Except one. Jesus passed it. And Jesus wrapped us 
in his righteousness. He wrapped us in those A-plus grades that we needed to graduate. And so the test showed me I couldn't pass it. But God wrapped his righteousness around us and allowed us to pass. So then when we look at this, what manner of people should we be? Chapter 23 now, we go through the Ten Commandments. Uh, Chapters 21, we find the different... Chapter 23 now, it says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So two things. One, it's about as guilty to receive a false witness as it is to put your hand in with somebody who is generating a false witness. What that means is you don't want somebody backbiting you. Do we all agree that that ain't cool? You know, we don't know where the rumors are coming from. It's like the snipers that uh, were in Vietnam as the troops would go through the jungle and there would be a sniper in the jungle and they would pick off the soldiers one at a time. They never even knew who shot at them. Well, it's the same way a lot with gossip and false witness because you don't really know who's doing it. And so the best thing that we can do is stop it and don't ever put your hand in with that. Verse 2, you shall not follow the crowd to do evil. Wow. Do you get this? Don't follow the crowd to do evil. What do we deduce from this verse? Generally, the crowd wants to do evil. They do. You you look at it. Remember back in high school. Remember all those things that we went through. And today, it's, it's the crowd. It's the trend. It's what's popular. It's what Hollywood is generating. And we see, well, everybody's doing it, so therefore it must be okay. He said... You shall not follow the crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Don't be a part of people's wickedness, is what it's saying. Don't follow the crowd. It's trendy. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're bad. Yeah, 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 I guess so. They're bad, they're bad, they're bad. You don't even know if they're bad or not. You're just repeating what the crowd says. So be careful of trying to win the popularity contests. Again, moms and dads, be sure to always encourage your children not to follow the crowd. It almost seems that, well, honey, if you do this, then everybody in school will like you. Well, I don't want you to do what everybody else is doing at school, and I don't care if they don't like you because God loves you and I love you. So he says, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, as we read on here, you're going to find that can go both ways. Well, we want to favor the poor person. Later on, you're going to find out you don't want to favor a rich person either because really their monetary status does not determine justice. Now, today, we're, we're violating this. We have, have you heard the term social justice? That's going on. Well, that's social justice. You know, I was, honest to God, I was in the store the other night. I was in Target. And I was there and there was a whole group of kids about, I don't know, they were probably 15 years old. And they were literally going through the store 
taking things off the shelf in the back part of the store where they have the candy bars. And they were just opening stuff, eating them, open boxes of crackers. They were eating it, throwing it. And I just go, you know, only in our society is this allowed to go on? And I go, first of all, how are these kids raised to think this is normal behavior, that you can just go through a store, eat stuff off the shelves, throw the wrappers on the floor, don't pay for anything, and this is okay. This is where we're at today as a society. Because we have violated this. Well, the store is rich, and these kids deserve to have free stuff. Social justice. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we don't show partiality towards a poor person any more than we should towards a rich person. Now, I know today that it seems that if you have enough money, you can buy your witnesses. It seems that if you can be poor enough, you can stick your bottom lip out far enough that you can get the entire whole team of the 49ers to set on it, and that some way will get you something. But the Bible says that is not what we should do. Again, you are executors of God's righteousness. You will, if you're a Christian here today, somewhere north of seven years of today, if the rapture came and the tribulation began, when Jesus comes back and sets up his thousand-year reign here on this earth, the Bible says you will rule and reign with him, and you will be the executors of his righteousness on this earth. That's what you're going to be doing. Now, yes, we're going to go to heaven someday. We're going to be able to go beyond the stars. I believe that comes in the new Jerusalem. But immediately what we're looking at is I believe we're going to be, and I believe that training that God's going to give us to rule and reign with him. Now he says, don't show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, kill it and take it home and eat it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if you see your enemy's donkey, not not your buddies, your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Well, I'll tell you what. The Bible you need is the Bible you read, and I don't like this verse, so let's just mark it out. Can't do that. What did Jesus say? Do good to your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Why did he say that in the Beatitudes? Because this is the way God wants to minister to a world through his servants, you and me, to a world that doesn't know him. Your enemy's ox is out. Well, too bad for him. Hope a car don't hit it. (laughs) No, it says actually we need to help them corral it. What does that do to the person? Maybe that person won't be your enemy anymore. You never know down the road how that might change, and that person may be your friend or bring your animal back to you. So it says, if you see your enemy's ox, not your friend's ox, but your enemy's, we are to be kind to those people because this reflects what? The king you serve. Again, being born again, becoming a Christian, John 3.16, is the beginning of our Christian experience. It is not the end of our Christian experience. Once we're born again, now we go in and God supernaturally puts a new heart in us and 
fortifies that heart with his word. Hey, love those who are mean to you. Well, that goes against everything my old sin nature says. Be mean to me, I'll be mean to you. But God says, no, you reach out your hand to them. You be the peacemaker. Because the Bible says that yours is the kingdom of heaven. So he says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden. In other words, this what this means basically is that the donkey has been loaded up. It is so heavy that it collapses and it can't get up again because the load is so heavy. I watched a video last night. I don't remember what it was about a tractor. And this guy was like over in India or something. And he had two big like semi loads of of sticks piled. It looked like like up eight foot tall and and uh, on these big trailers. And he was trying to pull it with like a little bitty tractor, like almost like what you'd mow your lawn with down some street in India. And, you know, the tractor would raise up and it would move just a little bit. And then somebody would, you know, park in front of him and the tractor would go back down. And then he'd have, you see the engine. And and I just looked at it, I go, I go, man, that is like way, way too much for that little tractor to do. Well, the donkey, way, way too much. You know, maybe the owner's trying to double time it, overstacks it on the donkey, and the donkey collapses. Notice what it says. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help it. You shall surely help him with it. In other words, we are to come to the aid of someone, unfortunately, that does some dumb stuff. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.